Hey there, my name is Jonathan Lee, co-host of the EdTech Pod Squad. On behalf of my other co-hosts, I wanted to thank you for adding our podcast to your personalized professional development lineup. I also would like to invite you to check out my other podcast, the METC Podcast. The Midwest Education Technology Community, METC, podcast highlights the amazing things our regional educators are doing within their region, district, school, or classrooms. You can catch us on almost any podcasting site or check us out at metcedplus.org. All right, everyone, it is time for this month's EdTech Pod Squad. Your learning begins now. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the EdTech Pod Squad. I am here with my colleagues, and we're ready to share another episode with you. And this episode is going to be all about if I knew then what I know now. Talking about our previous selves and how we may change things now that we know all the stuff that we do know because of our current position. So, uh, my name is Jonathan Lee, and I am the instructional specialist with METC. You can find me on Twitter at JLeeTechPercent and our podcast at hashtag METC Podcast. Hey, I am JP Presavento from the Fox School District. You can connect with me on Twitter or anywhere else at JPPREZZ. I am Samantha Hardesty Knoll. I'm an instructional tech coach for the Wentzville School District, and you can follow me on Twitter at TechKnoll. Hey, I'm Josh Howard. I'm an instructional technology facilitator at the Fulton Public School uh, District in Fulton, Missouri, and you can hit me up on the Twitters at Josh C. Howard. Hi, guys. I'm Erin Lawson, and I'm the district tech coach in the Orchard Farm School District, and you can find me on Twitter at Erin underscore Lawson3. Before we get into our future content of how we would change what we used to do because of what we know now, let's talk about some what's new out there. So the first item on that list is the new accessibility menu in all of your G Suite documents and apps. Who wants to talk about that? Does anyone have about that it. menu yet? Yes, we have that menu here, so I guess I will talk about it. Um, Great and, I'm not sure, and I noticed that some, some have it, but they don't realize that they have it. So you actually have to click on Tools, and under Tools is the Accessibility Settings. And so that has shown up for me. Um, I didn't have the actual menu called Accessibility until I clicked on that Accessibility Settings. And within there, uh, you can click on two buttons. One says uh, turn on screen reader support, and the other one is turn on screen magnifier support. And once I turned both of those on uh, and refreshed my screen, accessibility menu popped up. And so what it does, and many of the things that are in this menu, depending on which one, if you're in doc slides or, or sheets, are have already been there, but they're kind of hard to find if you have the need. So, now they're all in one spot. So if I click on accessibility, I have access quickly to speak, speak selection, um, go to film strip, go to canvas, look at speaker notes, put in comments, look at the spellings, and then formatting stuff. And so all of that stuff that's already been there really for the most part is now one nice, neat menu. So um, that's pretty sweet. Does anybody else find it if you go to tools and have accessibility? I sure did, Jonathan. I didn't realize that I'd kind of been waiting for that um, menu to show up. I didn't realize it's been there all along. Uh, yeah, I, I was surprised. Actually, I got that from Google Teacher Tribe. They, was, they were talking about it, and they said that it's under tools, and so I happened to click on that this morning, and I said, oh, there is accessibility settings there. What happens if I click on hit? 
And sure enough, when I selected some of those items, it all of a sudden just gave me a fresh menu um, on that. And that icon, I know nobody else on this podcast, but um, if you have an Android phone, actually, Josh, are you an Android? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. On an Android phone, I'm not sure how far back it goes on on um, which version you're in, but you can actually go into the settings and also turn on accessibility. And so on my phone, the Android's got rid of the square on the right-hand side of the screen, bottom right-hand screen, and now I have the same icon. So if you are in docs, you see the accessibility settings, the little person with the arms straight out, that's also that's now on my screen on my phone. And so when I click on that, I have quick access to power off, uh, power uh, volume up and down, brightness up and down, screen capture, stuff like that. All stuff that's on the phone, but not necessarily easy to get to, but it's all right there in the menu now. So Google's kind of pushing that across multiple uh, devices. It's pretty cool. All right. So we have another item we want to talk about, and it's called Wakelet or Novel Effect. I'm not sure what the or part oh, is, okay. but I do know what well, that's, it, Those so. are two different apps, but uh, I'll, I'll talk <laughs> about uh, – they're both things I learned about. So uh, I was at a conference – last couple days the uh, rset conference in springfield fantastic uh give it a give it a look if you're uh, looking for a great conference down in springfield uh aaron can attest she really loves it as well but um so i learned about wakelet i actually learned about wakelet back in december um i had a member of their team reach out to me via twitter and he kind of gave me a little uh, tour of it but what i've learned about it here recently is uh well for my for for what I think uh, it, of it as is something more like uh, Pinterest, something where you can kind of create a collection of a variety of uh, media sources. Like you can just type text in there. You can add YouTube videos. You can put a collection of bookmarks or you can put a combination of those things together. It kind of reminds me of Padlet a little bit. I don't know if that's just because they have similar sounding names or what, but um, it's just uh, you put a bunch of resources together, then you can share that stuff out. So it seemed to be something that you could use in a classroom if you had a collection of sources for a project, like if you had kids doing a research on, um, you know, something topical that they could put all the, the different topics um, that they researched. They could have YouTube videos in their websites, uh, pictures, videos, all sorts of stuff. Um, another thing that it does that I thought was pretty cool is like you can uh, set it up to do collections based on your social media. So like, if you like, uh, if you like a post on Twitter, you can automatically create a collection of posts that you've liked. So then you can go back and see, oh yeah, here's 10 things I liked today. These are all project ideas I wanna try in my class. Um, and I, uh, some people use it to curate like hashtags, Twitter chat type things too. So it just seems like something that would have a lot of applications in a classroom and as a tech coach, it's something I would definitely uh, encourage my teachers to at least look into to see if there's some way that they could use that instructionally in their classroom. Yeah, I've downloaded the app before, and I've started to use it. Like you said, for kind of curating uh, tweets, uh, actually for the MBTC conference, and um, but I have not played with it too much. I do like the idea of being able to uh, throw like my liked tweets within a collection. I have not figured out how to do all that. I've only used the phone app. I have not actually gone online to do anything yet, but um, have you used both of those, Josh? Is one I've really only used the desktop. I haven't, I don't have an <laughs> app on my phone, but um, it has an extension that you can put on. Like I use Chrome obviously. So I have the uh, extension and uh, it, you can basically kind of clip stuff 
from all over the internet while you're on there. So like one of those things is just when you're on Twitter, you can tell it what you want it to clip out and put on there on your collection in Wakelet. Yeah, it's definitely have a similar feel than Padlet, um, but a very very different in some respects as well. So it's pretty Well, I don't think you can add, like in Padlet, you could take like a picture directly from your camera or record a video or audio. I don't know that you can do all that kind of stuff. I, I think it's more of a collect things that are already kind of out there. Actually, the first time I heard about this was when Padlet changed their uh, free accounts to where you can only have like five Padlets or something and everybody had to freak out about it. And uh, so a lot of people tried to find other stuff. And I think this is kind of something that emerged out of um, when Padlet kind of lost some of its luster when it became more of a pay to use app. So I think uh, if you're a person that used Padlet in the past, this would be an alternative, but it wouldn't necessarily be the same kind of experience for students. All right, so I want to add one more, um, basically because of the experience we had yesterday at our Educational Technology Association meeting. So in St. Louis, a bunch of us EdTech coaches get together once a month, and, and we meet, and the people in charge, Aaron Lawson is one of them, um, does an awesome job of having the meetings in different locations. And this meeting uh, yesterday was actually at Block Souls headquarters or pixel press headquarters and so it was pretty cool to kind of get down there and learn from them and see what they're pulling out and, and does anybody want to because most of us were there except for a good old josh he was down in springfield but anybody want to comment on what they learned and and thought of the visit to bloxels aaron you want to jump in you were you've worked pretty closely with bloxels yeah, I was like, who wants to go? Um, yeah, no, it was a really great experience. Uh, Josh Stevens, um, he, he's one of the Bloxels guys, and he's just, actually, the entire company, with the, I think he said there's about, like, 12 to 15 of them only in their company, so it's just a really close-knit company, and um, he was showing some of the really cool stuff about Bloxels EDU, and the one thing I took away from it, I loved um, the asset packs that he was talking about. So now they've created these packs for kids, um, so maybe there's like Egypt and Pirates, and can you guys remember any of the other kind of pre-made packs that they came up with? I definitely remember the Ancient Egypt one because mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with mummies, um, but they've already created these packs so that way then kids when they're designing their game it doesn't take them forever just to make um, certain those little tiny parts uh, of their game instead they can focus on the story of their game and just go to some of those packs to pull um, a mummy or a pirate or a dinosaur or something like that that's already made and put it into their game so it's, it was a really neat thing Bloxel's edu is pretty cool they're working hard to make it great for kids and for teachers I really like that they airing kind of piggybacking and JP and I were having a side conversation while we were down there and we were talking about, you know, we really like Bloxels, but sometimes the bulk of time can be spent in Bloxels building things that aren't necessarily supporting the learning objectives. So I think it was really smart of them to, to add some of the assets. Um, and I hope they think of that in other areas as well. So that really that time that kids are spending is really meeting the objective of the classroom but they um they definitely are supporting education um which is it's good to have that partnership with a local company yeah i thought it was interesting that they so now they have bloxel's edu and he said correct me if i if i misheard him but said that bloxel's the name itself is really going to kind of just go away it's going to actually just change from bloxel's to bloxel's edu they're really going to have that focus on the edu side so that was interesting i mean Usually, 
you almost kind of go the other way. You start education and you want to expand your business. You go out to just everybody, but they're really going to focus in and hone in on the education market, which I thought was really cool. So for those who are not, not aware, Bloxels is available on pretty much any device you have. So whether you're Android or iOS, uh, whether you have iPads or Amazon Fires or whatever, you can use it. They also said they're having a soft launch or had a soft launch on build.bloxels.co. And so that will ba basically turn your web browser into uh, Capture Studio. So you can take it, go to that website, and then capture whatever you happen to be using, and you can build um, within there. So, And one of the things I also liked was, and it's kind of, I don't like the name because I don't like the name workbook, but um, I like, and I just built right off of what you were talking about, Sam, is the focus on, yes, the building part is a lot of fun, but we want to make sure we capture the learning too because the, the build of the actual game could take forever. And remembering the content doesn't take as long or that doesn't take, um, needs to be present. And so I like the idea of that, they have now tools that allows kids to build this out on paper or digitally um, before they actually get into the app and, and that kind of thing. So they at least get that part finished before they start really getting creative. I thought it was kind of cool. All right, so let's move on to Coach's Corner. Who has got some content for Coach's Corner? I've got something. <laughs> so um, I meant to mention this on our podcast uh, last month at METC and completely forgot. So their NPR, they are having a student podcast challenge. It's due uh, March 31st. So hopefully when this podcast, our podcast comes out, um, there, there will still just be a little bit of time for people to be able to submit something. Um, we put the link in our show notes, but if you, if you just need to quickly find it, um, just Google uh, NPR Student Podcast Challenge and it'll be the first one at the top that you can go to. So basically, um, just a little bit about it. The contest is open to teachers with students uh, between fifth and 12th grade. The podcast will be between three and 12 minutes long. Um, they, they don't want any music in their podcast. They can work, um, students can work with a class or uh, after school group to make their podcast. And they will need the help of a teacher to submit their podcast. Uh, the entry form is for teachers only to fill out. So they have some official rules um, as well. And then they have some really great prompts. It looks like there's about five prompts that you can take a look at um, for your podcast. And then once it's submitted, uh, judging will happen in April, and they're going to kind of narrow it down to winners from two age groups, uh, either middle school, so fifth grade through eighth grade, or high school, ninth grade through 12th. And uh, so def definitely check out that website, and they've got a bunch of great stuff, some questions, what kind of equipment do you need, just things like that. So check it out. You know, one thing that I think is really neat about this um, whole student podcasting contest through NPR is the idea that this medium is becoming much more mainstream and that, you know, the idea of telling stories through audio is just becoming more popular and prevalent and we're giving our kids one more way to have a voice. So I really kind of applaud NPR for putting this uh, student podcast challenge out there. But I just think that really speaks to the idea of giving kids a way to tell their story. And even as we circle back to that idea about Bloxels from what's new, those two things that they have in common is just we're giving our kids more opportunities to tell their story and show what they know in unique ways that kind of meet their individual needs. So that's just kind of, I just really like that idea. Um, when I sent this stuff out to my teachers, I think this contest was announced last year, maybe in the fall, but um, there's a actually like if you're worried about kind of just 
shoehorning like oh we're gonna do a podcast just to submit it they have a bunch of lessons and stuff on there and like uh lesson ideas ways that you can integrate it into stuff that you're already doing so if you go to the website just click around a little bit um it even kind of shows you how you can use it in your classroom so it's not don't feel like oh we got to go to out tomorrow and record a podcast it does kind of teach you and walk you through that process that you can actually work work through all that with your with your class together all right, so let's go ahead and go on into our featured content. We're going to talk about what we would do differently if we were to go back and back in the classroom now and compared to what we did in the past based off of all, all the stuff that we learned. Uh, being coaches, we do have the opportunity uh, to get to go to different places and learn a lot of different things. Um, we're expected to stay up to date on what's new and hip and learning different ways to teach and that kind of thing. Josh got to go to Springfield. We all were at METC, all this stuff. So we have that luxury. And so we're constantly learning new things. And um, I do constantly reflect back to my first two or three years of teaching and go, man, I need to just write letters to those students and say, I'm sorry that you had me for my first couple of years teaching. But, um, you know, so let's get, let's, who wants to start and let's talk about um, what is one thing that you think you would do differently now compared to what you did in the past? I know for me, just, with teaching in general, I now I realize that the world is definitely much bigger than my classroom. And um, I, you know, my previous district, um, it was a really big district. And why didn't I connect with all of the other sixth grade teachers in my district? Why didn't I do that? Instead, I was, you know, I connected with my, my team in my building, but then didn't really go beyond my own building. And I just, I think about that all the time. Like, I probably missed so much because I didn't connect with other sixth grade teachers in my district. And then even thinking beyond my district, I wish that I would have connected with people outside of my district as well. And even now, um, the way that we are all friends and the way we've connected, like I, I wish that I would have known that, how to do that back when I was in the classroom for sure. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, definitely we don't go over enough with young younger teachers because like when I started it was the same thing I felt like uh, when the door to my classroom was closed I just had to control everything that was going on in there and you never I, n never is the wrong way to put it, it you, you have to work with in a classroom for a long time before you start to realize like man all this stuff that's happening outside of a classroom is is really useful so one thing that um I uh kind of started to get into but it, it, I spent so long in my teaching career just thinking like those pacing guides were the bible and those curriculum guides were like uh you know you couldn't ever not cover you had to cover everything you had to make sure you had to get all that stuff in and by the time I was kind of coming into my own and I ended up taking this job but like I started looking at like current events I started looking at I used google trends actually a lot because you can get on there and like see like uh, stuff that's in the news that's popular that people are talking about so kind of uh, you know if I had to go back into a classroom the first thing I would do is maybe take a look at those pacing guides and those curriculum guides but ultimately get to know your students and start to look at more of the real world and more ways that you can kind of reach out and connect and start conversations that are more relevant to what uh, kids are actually talking about or interested in I agree with you, Josh. I really wish I would have done more personalized learning for my students as well in my class. You know, now that I know 
what that's like. And even with technology, um, when I look back and reflect on, because we, we had just started using Google for Education um, in my district and my previous district. And um, I think now I look at it and I, like with the SAMR model, I was definitely just substituting. I wasn't doing a whole lot. Um, I did learn about flipped learning of, from Jonathan Bergman that, during some PD at one point and started using more video and doing better lessons. But uh, I was definitely doing a lot more substitution than what I would like, you know, like to admit. But um, yeah, definitely more personalized learning for my students. I just wish some of the tools that we have now were available when I was in the classroom um, because, you know, we talked a little bit about student voice and I am going to admit that I was the teacher that, you know, I asked the question, one person raised their hand. Um, I called on them based upon if they were wearing a cool sweatshirt that I connected with that day and um, they gave the answer, but I, I, I didn't take a pulse of the whole class. Like, I asked one person, one person gave me the answer, gave an example, and that was, that was it. That was my measurement of if everybody knew. And now, you know, I think about, I can ask a question and all my kids can answer it on Flipgrid, or I can ask a question or have somebody share and we can, you know, do a collaborative doc. And there's just so many more things out there that I could hear every student's voice and that just simply weren't available really when I was in the classroom. Um, and so when I work with teachers and we show those tools, I'm like, this is so important that every student has a chance to answer and that every student gets to express themselves and that we get to understand if every student's getting it. So yeah, just, just even the tools that have come out just in the past couple of years since transitioning out of the classroom, there's so many that I'd love to have my own students and experiment, experiment with that. Absolutely. I wish I would have had Seesaw and Flipgrid and all of that. I wish I would have had that in my, in my sixth grade class. Yeah, Seesaw would have definitely been a big addition. We, were, we used um, the old Google Sites to create kind of portfolios, and that just took forever for students to kind of navigate and build within that. And um, Seesaw would be so much easier to create that. You know, I, I I agree with the personalized thing. I remember when I started recording my math lessons and my students were out in the hallway listening to a lesson and my coworkers would walk by and go, why do I hear Mr. Lee when you're at, and, and that was just, you know, I wish I had more done it more than just math, just had that availability. But the math piece really did, did help. My philosophy on homework really changed uh, over time and really in the last couple of years, just seeing and knowing especially with the, all the SEL stuff and what goes on beyond class. And, and I guess also having my own kids, knowing that between five and seven, just with my kids is, is really difficult. And so um, I can imagine having, um, thinking back to some of my kids, they were fifth graders, but yet I know that they were in charge of their siblings that were in third grade kindergarten and lower, and then expect them to have some kind of work done for me the next day um, really made me feel silly. But I think just rethinking homework, I know some will listen and go, oh, you have to have homework, and it's probably going to be a secondary teacher somewhere. But, um, you know, just having that conversation of, honestly, cutting it out completely, if that's what you're really worried about, or just, I think, being more cognizant of how much we're actually giving it, and is it realistic for our kids? Because, yeah, we know learning is fun, but we got to, you know, teach that whole child. And before we came on, we were talking with Sam, how she was watching her kids' lacrosse game. And then we got to leave time for them to be able to be kids. One of the ideas that I was really kind of 
wrestling with a little bit right about the time that I left the class was that idea of how do I really take the work that we're doing and make it meaningful for kids and give them an opportunity to create a product that means something to them that they can be proud of. And, you know, I left the classroom at a time, like right when Chromebooks were starting to come out and we hadn't gotten our first delivery of Chromebooks when I was still in the classroom. Um, so, you know, I left right on the cusp of all this kind of cool stuff that we actually had access to. So I, you know, if I, if I could go back, I think it'd be really, really, I mean, it'd be great because I'd have the opportunity to do some of the things that, you know, I spend so much time teaching now and, you know, going away from the days where I like had to tell my kids to bring their phones and hide them so that we wouldn't get in trouble when we were doing an activity, you know, to now when we, you know, we have kids, we're not one-to-one, -one, but we do bring your own Chromebook and a lot of, a lot of cool stuff like that. But really for me, it's just that idea of giving kids an opportunity to own the work that they do. And I've spent so much of the last five plus years kind of working with teachers on that. And I just didn't have an opportunity to really see that come full circle in my own classroom. Um, I think going along with that, something that I really wish that I had explored a little bit more because I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as JP, where as soon as we started to really get access, I was kind of no longer in a classroom in a position where I could really help students for, you know, do as much as they could but um kind of going along with that i wish that i had done more with students to own their work but also like market themselves and do like some sort of portfolio or some sort of place where they could kind of make their footprint um a, that kind of positive digital footprint we used to do so many like projects and so many like outreach things but ultimately like if those students want to go back and find like the evidence of those projects that we did it's on a spreadsheet on my computer or you know it's on a poster or something that we put up in the classroom or it was a presentation uh we didn't take the time to kind of uh market those things to put them on the internet to tweet out about them to uh to tell our you know to broadcast that stuff in a greater way and so now like you know a lot i encourage a lot of my teachers to do some sort of portfolio or just some something even if it's like for student-led conferences or something if the kids are like basically laying out map of all the stuff that they've done throughout the school year like we want students to be doing more of that because not only are those like great artifacts to show like the projects and the learning that we're doing in the classroom but also like that's a kind of a footprint of like their abilities and their skills and the things that they've made and created and published to the world and uh that you know you get to keep that stuff forever that's um that all that tells a little bit about the person you are the student you are the skills that you have and i think that would be a much if i were to go back into a classroom now just students curating their work would be such a bigger part of what i would be doing uh in in a classroom now i know another big piece that i think of is if I were to go back into the regular classroom, which I love, that's like the favorite, my favorite part of the job is when I get to go into teachers' classrooms and, and, and teach. This week I got to be a fifth grade teacher for a while, so that was a ton of fun. But um, it's that risk-taking and comfort zone. When I was in, in the classroom and was having my students create or make something, I gave them choices that I was comfortable with uh, because I knew that piece of technology or uh, I, I could problem solve it relatively easily. Um, and now I wish I could go back and 
now that I'm comfortable, I'm completely comfortable outside of my comfort zone now. Like I, I'm okay. If I don't know that tech tool, that's okay. I know that I can figure it out and I can uh, coach kids through that. Um, I wish I would have been more comfortable to do that because there's so many tools that I probably like guided my kids towards based upon my own understanding, which kind of robbed them out of doing their own problem solving, number one, but it also robbed them out of maybe, you know, having a tool that they totally connected with. Um, And I know being a tech coach now has just, it's absolutely forced the comfort zone out of me. You know, there's not a tool that I'm like, okay, we, let's try it. Yeah, let's do that one. So I wish I kind of had more of that fearless leader in me when I was in the classroom. Something else I just thought of, Sam, while you were talking um, was, you know, if I were back in the classroom now, I'd want to tell myself to make sure I really utilize any instructional support personnel that are there. So this is really kind of a plug for the work we do, right? Um, You know, before I started, we really didn't have this job. No, we didn't really have this job. We didn't have this job in Fox, but there were go-to people just like there are everywhere. And if I were going back in the classroom, I'd really want to tell myself to make sure that I identify those folks. I know how they can help me and I use them as my resource. Because I think a lot of times, you know, I, I'm super busy and we're all super busy, but I feel like I'm not as busy as I could be. The teachers could contact me more and there are more projects we could do together instead of me, you know, people saying, hey, could you make this type of thing for me or make this do this thing? Um, I really think there's a lot more opportunities for collaboration. So I really, I want to encourage everyone who's listening, if you're in the classroom, use those instructional support folks at your disposal in your district because they want to be there. They want to be supporting you. And if I were back in the classroom, I'd be using them to help me and my kids. I agree with you, JP. I do. I totally do. Because I think back when, when I was in the classroom in my district, do you, do you guys know who my tech coach was? It was Abby Irwin. Yeah. (laughs) Like why didn't I call Abby to come and work with me? Can you, I mean, I can't imagine the craziness, the coolest stuff that we would have done if I just would have, you know, done what JP was just talking about and utilized her, um, we could have done some amazing things. So yeah, just a little shout out to Abby. She's great. I think that's a huge lesson for me too, is like, I never would have reached out to me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we had, we never, we never had a technology coach, but we had instructional coaches. Uh, we did like, uh, what do you call it? The pineapple chart where it's like, Hey, come in and observe and watch. And we tried to have all these, you know, there were always opportunities to go in and collaborate with people and learn from them. And I rarely ever took advantage of any, anything like that. But now like being in my role and I see like, that is so helpful to teachers. Once they realize you can come in and work on the plan with me, or you can come in and co-teach with me, or we can just have a meeting after school and we can talk about something that would have made my life so much easier. Uh, I would have had less stress about things, just having somebody to like uh, talk to, uh, about an idea I had, the best way to do it. That would have saved me so much time and uh, so much just anxiety about not knowing how something was going to work out in the classroom. One thing I would always help others to, to realize that invite us in because we're not evaluative, right? We, we're we not coming in to, to, oh, well, you did this wrong. There goes a check mark on your, on your evaluation, that kind of thing. It, so many teachers think when we come in, or when I come at least, that I'm there to tell them what they're doing wrong. And that's that's not the case. I'm here to support in any way you can. And that, I think, is definitely a roadblock for some of the folks um, that don't reach out to us. And even talking about professional development, you know, in 
in my district, I, I stuck with the professional development that was in my district. You know, I attended those things. Um, I, I did what my district told me to do. And I guess I, I wish I would have known to seek out conferences and things like that and go to conferences to learn more. I, I just, I didn't. I guess I just didn't understand the importance of those kinds of things because I had never attended a big conference and to learn more about some great new things. Um, in fact, I mean, METC was actually the first conference that I ever attended, which is crazy, but I just, I just, I did the PD that was offered in my school district and I should have read more blogs, I should have read more books, and I should have attended more conferences. And that brings up another good point. I, I think um, one, another thing that I would change when I was back in the classroom is probably attend METC a little bit more. Um, I, my first year at METC was my first year at this job here currently. Um, Ten years in the classroom, I never attended METC, and part of it was because they didn't want to send – they wanted to send other people. The other part was I do recall one year I looked over the, the, the schedule and I'm like, no, I couldn't get anything out of this. And how arrogant of myself to think that and either for whatever reason. Um, but knowing now and the way we talk about going MTC, it's more than just what sessions we go to. It's that connection, it's that, be, that growing your professional learning network beyond the, the building um, and growing that way. And that way we continuously have people to bounce off of. And, and so I would definitely harp on myself to, grow my network outside of my building more um, so I can have those enriched experiences beyond the classroom. All right. So I know that I just stumped everybody on that one. So I will just, uh, we'll go ahead and close it down. We're looking at our time and our timer here says we're probably about 30 minutes. We don't really have a timer. So uh, any closing comments that anybody would like to add on a topic or subject as we close ourselves out? I just think this is a good, this would be a good topic for, anyone regardless of your role or whether you have uh, moved into doing something different like just always try to be reflective of like your position now and maybe where you came from and what you could be doing differently I know uh, we teach all of our new teachers when they come in to try and be more reflective take journals keep a blog just do something so you're always consistently reflecting on things that work and don't work even if it's last week or five years ago, I think there's a lot of good that can come from just looking at the, 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 the practitioner used to be and comparing that to what you are now and what you might be doing differently. Good closing thought there, sir. So let's go ahead and remind everybody who we are and connect with us, and we will close out this episode. Hey, I'm JP Presvena. One more time, you can connect with me on social media at JP Pres and check out my other podcast, The Bits and Bites of Education. And I'm Sam Hardesty-Knoll. I'm an instructional coach for the Wentzville School District, and you can contact me at TechKnoll. I'm Josh Howard. I am the Instructional Technology Facilitator at the Fulton Public School District, and you can find me on my website, joshchoward.com, or also on Twitter, at Josh C. Howard. And I'm Erin Lawson, uh, Orchard Farm School District Tech Coach, and you can find me on Twitter at Erin underscore Lawson3. And I am Jonathan Lee. I am METC Instructional Specialist. You can catch me on Twitter at percent. Also on the METC podcast, comes out every other week as well. So thanks again for joining us on this episode. Greatly appreciated. Again, connect with us on Twitter or at EdTechPodSquad. We have our own Twitter account now. We forgot to mention that at the opening. Or you can also tweet to us using the hashtag EdTechPodSquad. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.